0: Well, if uh, you are new to us at church today, we've been in a series called The Voice, and it really is a takeoff of the TV show, The Voice, where there are judges who hear a person and their backs are turned to the person. If they like the voice, they slap the the button in front of them, their chair spins around, they look at the person who's singing and basically say, I want you, I want you on my team, I want to partner with you in your career. And through our lives, we have a number of, of people sitting in those chairs, But there are two really dominant voices that that concern us. that are the most important voices because they're, they're voices that never stop speaking. And these are voices that can take us in a profound direction. And those voices are the Holy Spirit and the voice of an evil one called Satan. And though you may not believe in this real being called the devil, almost every book of the New Testament says something about him, that he is a real person and that he does speak, And he does cause people to walk down a path that he desires for them. See, here's the truth. The voice you trust determines the path you take. That you are where you are right now because of choices you've made based on the voices you've heard. And if you're in a very good place in your life, I can trace it back to listening to the voice of God, responding to him, and positioning yourself where you are now in a place to receive blessing. And if you're going through incredible turmoil in your life, and struggles in your life, and and really um, depressing, dark things in your life, it's very likely that you've listened along the way to an evil voice, and you've fallen for the lies. And what you're dealing with today is the fruit of following in that direction. See, here's what Satan wants to do. He wants us to be confused about our present, to be fearful about our future and to be paralyzed by our past. He wants to unearth things in our lives that would cause us to say, you know, I'm unworthy. I don't deserve this. This can't be true for me. But I want to give you some help today because I believe this is one of the most powerful message series we've ever done because it's so practical. It's something we can apply every single day. And for many of us in this room, Satan likes to unearth garbage from the past that can hinder us in our spiritual growth. And I want to give you a very simple but powerful plan of how you can address each accusation he brings against you. So before we go into his word, I'm gonna ask if you'd pray with me. Father, we thank you for your truth. We pray you'd speak to us through your scriptures. And may your Holy Spirit open our hearts, Father, in a way that we truly understand what it is you want us to know. And that today, Father, we would say yes to whatever it is you're calling us to do. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. There's, there's one simple truth that really I'd want you to walk away with. And if you can grasp this, This is the key to overcoming the accusations of the enemy. It's simply this. When the enemy wants to take you to the court, you go to the cross. When the enemy wants to drag you to the court, you say, I'm not going there. I'm going to go to the cross. This whole picture of a courtroom is sort of the motif for the message today. Because if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Zechariah. It's in the Old Testament toward the end of the Old Testament. And what we're going to find here is that Satan has a title. He's called here the accuser, the accuser. Satan has a lot of different names. He's called the father of lies. He's called the tempter. He's called the deceiver. He's called the evil one, the prince of the air, the god of this age. But here he's called the accuser. And I want you to listen to this passage. It says, Then he, meaning the Lord, showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to do what? To accuse him. It's sort of like this courtroom scene. And on the one hand, we have the Holy Spirit who's the accuser. We're going to have the, I mean, the Satan who's the accuser. We're going to find out the Holy Spirit is our advocate. But I want to point out what Satan does because he wants to point out to us in particular and maybe even to the Lord how unworthy we are, how much we've failed him. Do you ever get hung up with issues of your past? My wife and I were trying to refinance a mortgage once, and we found the rate we wanted, found the bank we wanted, everything was cruising along real smooth until we got our credit report. And they said, there's a, there's a glitch here. You got an unpaid debt from, from many years ago. And we looked it over and says, what do you mean we've got this debt? That doesn't sound like anybody we've ever used before. It was a medical thing. Uh, We don't recall getting any bills. Uh, I couldn't trace that we've ever paid this, but I don't recall ever getting a bill for it. And he says, well, the problem is it's on your credit report. And until we get that taken care of, you can't get the rate you're trying to get. Have you ever had something from your past get on earth? We have a family member turned 70 just recently. And about five years ago, he received a phone call from a young lady in her 30s, and she said, I'm your daughter, and I want to meet you. He knew that years ago, he'd gotten a girl pregnant. He, he knew that um, it, was, it was a bad relationship, and he was a troubled man into alcohol and other things, and, and he kind of... Um, separate himself from that child he wasn't going to raise the child was going to be involved in the child's life He was going to put that thing that part of his life behind him but this woman found out that she had a father a birth father and she wanted to know who he was and this wasn't one of those happy ending stories at first it seemed kind of that way and this man all of a sudden had to get his family together his wife already knew but his daughters didn't had to tell his daughters by the way you have a half-sister i've never told you about and and the awkwardness of that of the secret that had been hidden from his family for all these years, he now, with, with embarrassment, has to tell them all this story. And, and yes, I did make a big mistake. And yes, here's the fruit of that. And have you ever had that happen? Uh, maybe you wanted to get a job somewhere and there was a felony on your record. Or maybe someone remembered that moment of rage when you exploded and they remember that about you. Or maybe it was a broken promise to a spouse when you violated your marital vows. Something from your past gets unearthed. It's kind of like the skeleton in the closet. And you you realize, uh uh-oh. Satan doesn't want you just to remember it. Satan wants you to relive it. He wants you to feel once again the shame, the guilt, the humiliation of that event. And he wants you to to live in that moment. But that's when you have to say, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to live in that place. Because while Satan is the accuser, who's standing in the courtroom, the Bible says you have an advocate, and his name is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus, on the last night, he was with his disciples, he's at the, in the upper room, he says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He says, the advocate, the Holy Spirit. Some of your Bibles probably say the word counselor. That's how I used to read it in my Bible. I used to say counselor, and when I thought of counselor, I thought of therapy. I I thought of the Holy Spirit was someone who listened to my problems, took notes, and then patiently told me what I needed to do to fix the issue in my life. You know, that's what counselors do. You know, they help us process through the issues in our life. Holy Spirit's like a counselor, but that's not the way the word is used here. The proper definition is is really the word advocate. It's a legal term. It's from a Greek word, parakletos, which means someone who comes along beside you in your defense. It's it's really a courtroom word. Counselor is a synonym for a word we're very familiar with, lawyer. Now, aren't you glad the translator didn't say the Holy Spirit will be your lawyer because we have such bad connotations with lawyers? But that's really what it is. That's why the judge will say, Counselor, speak. He's speaking to the lawyer. Counselor, someone who speaks in in your defense. And the whole um, uh, motif of this is is this courtroom scenario. That's why the Bible uses a lot of terms that are very familiar in court. Law, judge, conviction, testimony, uh, forgiveness, justification. All, all these things are words used in the court of law because the truth is, at the core of our relationship with God is a violation of the law. Let me explain. Uh, the summary of God's laws are in the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before you, make no graven images, Keep the Lord, uh, honor the Lord's name and the Sabbath, honor your parents, don't, don't kill, don't commit adultery, lie, envy, all those kinds of things. Uh, those are the Ten Commandments. When you break those commandments, and who hasn't? Who hasn't broken a number of those commandments? You break laws. Now, in our culture, you know this if you drive a lot. When you break laws, there are consequences. It could be something small like a fine that you can just write a check and take care of it. Other times, when you break laws, it can be it can be more intense. You could go to prison. You could be on probation. You could get the death penalty for certain violations of the law. So let me ask you, if you and I have broken God's laws, what is the penalty for those violations? Well, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And what happens is death comes into our lives, it separates us from God. That, that's a that's death of our spiritual relationship. Separation from other people, a wall comes between us and other people. death to the relationship. One day physically we will die and the spirit will be separated from the body and the body will be separated from the life it, ever, it knew. And then if we're separated from God for eternity, that's the ultimate death. We deserve death because of our sins. But here's what God did for us. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take our penalties upon himself on a cross. And so when Jesus suffered, he suffered in our place to satisfy the penalties of the law so that you and I could walk free. And that's what the holy spirit brings to mind, reminds us of the fact that Jesus has suffered for us. Now I want you to picture this. You know the holy let's just picture a courtroom scene and the devil is this lawyer Scorpius has got, a, got, a, got his tie tight and really tight on his neck. He's got a black suit on, scowl on his face. He's strutting around in the courtroom. He opens up his briefcase. Papers go spilling out. And he says, I've got a case against that, Darren Rondi. I've got reams of pages here of things he's done. From the time he was a young boy, lies he told, things he stole, uh, envy, lust, greed, anger, all these things. And didn't you, Judge, say that if you had anger in your heart toward another man, it's murder? Didn't you yourself say that if you lust after another woman, it's just like committing adultery? Well, he's guilty. 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 You cannot let him go free because of his immense number of violations. I I have live witnesses who saw him, his own children, his spouse, his parents. Can testify against him that he's a lawbreaker. And Judge, you know that those who break the law should suffer. And he sits down. The Holy Spirit steps up, calm. He says, Judge, I cannot argue with anything the prosecuting attorney just said. Yes, my client is guilty of all the things he claimed he was guilty of. I I cannot argue, it's all correct. But you sent your son to die for that man on a cross and he promised that he would remove all of his sins when he did that. Your honor, there could be no other verdict than that this man be set free because he is clean. His record has been purged. See, so you've got, you've got these, these, these ones arguing before God. He's not worthy. He's not worthy. And the Holy Spirit said he isn't worthy, but Jesus is worthy and because of Jesus, he goes free. See, Satan wants to unearth all these things of your past and then put a label on you and say, you know, because you did that, that's who you are, that's who you'll always be. You're such a loser. You're such a failure. You're undeserving of anything. And, and what happens sometimes is we listen to that and we start to hang our heads saying, saying, yeah, you're right. And shame overwhelms us. That's what accusations do. It brings condemnation, this feeling of we're being judged again for our sin. While the the accuser brings condemnation, the Holy Spirit brings comfort. He's called the comforter. It's not like he's a snugly warm blanket. Here's how he brings comfort. He reminds us of what Jesus has said and done for us. And through that assures us that we indeed are his children, not because of anything we have done, but because of what he's done. And while the enemy wants to tell us that we're unworthy of God's love, The Holy Spirit wants us to know this, that you are perfectly qualified to receive God's love. You're the perfect candidate for it. I want to go back to that story I was telling you from the book of Zechariah. It says, The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem. Rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? So what God's saying to this man named uh, Joshua, the priest. By the way, he's not Joshua that you remember with Moses. It's, he's, a, he's a high priest. High priest is one of the highest offices in, in the nation of Israel. There was, there was the king and there was the high priest. And the high priest oversaw all the sacrifices done in the temple of God. Every day, sacrifices were made. But one day a year, a special sacrifice was made. It was, it was on the Day of Atonement. On that day, the priest who, by the way, had this robe that was very beautiful, very ornate. It was interwoven with jewels and with gold on this day, a very unique day. He would take off his robe. He would bathe, and then he would put on plain white linen garments. It was very symbolic of the fact that you do not come trying to impress God. And on this day, he would go and he would slaughter a bull, and he would take the blood of that animal, offer it, for his own sins and then take some of that blood into a room called the holy of holies he would go into that room and he would sprinkle the altar with the blood of that animal and it was a message to the people that someone needed to pay for your sin that animal paid for your sin today that animal gave up his life for your sin but the fact that every year they had to repeat the day of atonement again and again and again told them that your sins are never fully forgiven. See. You've got an imperfect priest who has to sacrifice for himself first, offering an animal sacrifice, which can never really take away sins. It's It's just a picture of what needs to take place in the future. But God will send a better sacrifice that will be offered by a better priest. And what he was referring to is Jesus. Jesus would come and be the high priest, the one who stands between God and men, the mediator to bring them together. Jesus would come. He'd never sinned. And because he'd never sinned, he could go without offering sacrifice for himself to go into the spiritual place, the Holy of Holies, offer his own blood, which he did on the cross, to fully and finally pay for sin for those who trust in him. And so God has done this beautiful thing through the Holy Spirit, and we celebrate it every week when we take the Lord's Supper. I like what Pastor Stephen Furtick says. He's a pastor in North Carolina. He says that communion crushes the condemnation. That every time we pause in the middle of the service, we do this every week here. Some people say, why do we do this every week? It, it, it can be such a ritual. It becomes so meaningless. But here's what you ought to do during that moment of contemplation, the moment of quietness in the room. Usually you're given some thoughts to think about, but they usually take you back to the cross. Not to the courtroom, but to the cross to remember what Jesus did for you, that his body was broken, his blood was shed, so that your penalty could be paid. So every Sunday, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it's a time to remind the enemy, I know you're trying to accuse me of my past, but right now, I know that Jesus died for me. And that's what I'm standing in. I'm not gonna go back in that courtroom and debate you and argue with you. I'm gonna trust in the Lord. So when Zechariah stands before the Lord, and God says, you're like a a burning stick snatched from the fire, basically saying, I've rescued you from hell. Then it says this, now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. As a representative of Israel, in a sense, he was covered with their sin, his own sin and their sin, filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. And then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. Here's what God does. He snatches us from the fire. He says, I'm going to remove your old clothes that are tarnished and filthy and dirty from the sins of your past. I'm going to clothe you with new garments. In fact, in the New Testament, it says that when we accept Christ as Savior, it says in Galatians 3.27, For all who have been baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. These new beautiful garments are are garments of Jesus. God sees us very different because we've given our lives to him. And so God has done this for Joshua. He does it for us. He's the one who deserves the praise. And If you ever think you're unworthy and you're so dirty and your clothes look so filthy, according to God, you think you're disqualified for his love, you need to know this. Romans 5.8. God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we've cleaned up our act, not when we've got everything together, not when we've reformed our lives, while we were still sinners. And if he loves you when you're a sinner, when you're you're wicked and doing things contrary to God, if he loves you then, would he love you any less when you've tried to follow him? Absolutely not. And it's not that God loves sinners Sinners who recognize their sin more than sinners who don't recognize their sin. It's just that when you recognize it, you feel it. You experience the love in a deeper way. And that's why the Apostle Paul is so amazing. I mean, he was a man who, throughout his life, was trying to move up the ladder of success. He was very um, astute in the rituals of Israel, he was trying to be a, a teacher. Man with a lot of pride, man who persecuted believers, even put some of them to death. But then he found Jesus, and his life was turned around. And so when he writes this letter to Timothy, a young pastor, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save not good people, but sinners, of whom I am the worst. Meaning, I'm perfectly qualified to receive. The love. Because if God loves us when we were yet sinners, and, and I'm the worst of them, there's got to be a lot of love for me. You see that we don't have to earn God's love. God's love comes to us in spite of the fact that we sinned. You've sinned, and I've sinned. Man, have I sinned. 2005, my wife and I joined two other couples from this church to to go on vacation in Cancun. And if you remember, that was the year that Hurricane Wilma came through the Yucatan Peninsula and up through Florida. It was the um, most most destructive hurricane that ever came to the Atlantic Basin. Winds of up to 185 miles per hour. Well, we were on vacation enjoying a, a nice break there, and we knew it was a little breezy, but then the warnings came that the hurricane was going to hit the land, so they evacuated the whole hotel zone in Cancun. And we were all taken down to places in the city, away from the water, and our particular group was, was lodged in a schoolhouse. Now, there were several one-room buildings in the schoolhouse, all with just open windows and wood shutters, cement floor. We were able to take a pillow and bed sheets. And so for five days, we slept on the cement floor with those sheets and the pillows. And you know, it was kind of fun, actually. I, I sort of enjoyed it. My wife didn't, but I kind of did. And we didn't have much to eat. In fact, we didn't have anything to eat for the first day. The second day, some trucks showed up, and they gave us some bags with saltine crackers and tuna fish. And, you know, I I love that, but everyone else grew really tired of crackers and tuna fish. What happened in that environment was we were in this room with about 25 other people, kind of wall-to-wall sleeping spaces, and it was raining a lot and windy. People were starting to get pretty edgy. We had next to us this really really kind um, older couple, actually two older couples, and the, the husbands were from, from Montana, they were brothers, looked like little cowboys, they had some breathing issues, and over here in the other corner was a group from Florida, well-tanned, older folks, chain smokers. Now, the first few days, they would go outside and, and be courteous enough to smoke, but they just got tired and cranky. They decided, we're not budging. We're going to stay right in a room and smoke. They're smoking there in that room, and you could hear these older men starting to wheeze and have trouble breathing. And so one of the ladies in our group, I'm not going to tell you which one, but she's pretty outspoken. She said, would, would, you, would you please take your smoking outside? And the lady just cocked her head, and she said, you can kiss my donkey. I'm not one to always let things fly by, and I said, I would if I knew which end was which. See, some of you are clapping, saying, I would have said the same thing, pastor. And some of you are getting ready to walk out, saying, honey, we need to go. Um, This isn't the kind of pastor we want to listen to. But, But hear the rest of the story. You need to know that I'm not perfect. I have weak spots, too, and at that moment, you know, I'm kind of feeling proud of myself. People around me chuckle, thought it was pretty good, until the Holy Spirit just thumps me on the head. I said, Rondy, that was bad. Now, that's the Holy Spirit convicting me. Now, there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Satan wants to bring up your sin to, to hinder your spiritual growth. The Holy Spirit brings up your sin through conviction to deal with it, to spur on your spiritual growth. So, Holy Spirit said, I love that woman. She's a perfect candidate for my love. And your comment is, close the door so that you will never have an opportunity to speak to her again about me. You need to fix that. I knew he was right. So, within just a couple minutes, I walked over to that lady and I said, Ma'am, I owe you an apology. I said, I'm a Christian, and that's not what Christians do. And I ask you to forgive me for being so rude to you. And she said, yes. And you know, from that day on, when she and her friend wanted to smoke, we didn't say anything, but they walked outside to smoke. And their attitude had changed because I had listened to the Holy Spirit God wants to free us from the past sins, the condemnation. He wants to use the conviction to guide us. And you can either justify your sin, you can deny it, you can blame someone else for it, but the best thing is to deal with it as God leads you. Now, i want to give you what I believe are three very simple yet powerful steps that you can take when you hear the accusatory voice of the evil one bringing up your past, bringing up that, that issue, bringing up that thing that's on your record, that real bad thing. Maybe other people bring it up, but he's going to bring it up so that you'll remember it, relive those feelings. Here's three things you can do. When the devil reminds me what I've done, number one, I'll agree. Now, remember I said Satan is a liar and the father of lies? This is one area where actually he's, he's pretty true. When he brings up the junk of my past, and he throws it in my face, you know, it is there. I can't deny it. God knows it's there. God knows I did those things. It's true. That is an accurate portrayal of my past, but that's not the end of the story. And see, you can hear the voice of Satan bringing things up. And I advise you, don't debate him. Don't debate him over it. Don't, don't say, that I never did that or it wasn't that bad or someone else made me do it. Don't do that. Simply say, you're right. You are absolutely right. See, part of our relationship with God is that we live in a spirit of continual confession. To confess your sins means to own up to them. It means that you say that I take full responsibility for that thing. I take full responsibility. It was me. I had a choice to make. I made a bad choice. That's my, that's my thing. I'll agree with you. There. Now, let Satan have his voice because he's going to speak whether you want him to or not. Don't let him have the last word. Because this next part is this. When the devil reminds me what I've done, oh, by the way, let me let me share with you from the Psalms. David, when he was when he was dealing with the issue of sin in his own life, found the way to deal with it was this. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So God wants us to acknowledge our sin because in the acknowledgement comes the freedom from it. And like Paul who said, yeah, I'm the worst of sinners. Acknowledge that. But then add this. When the devil reminds me what I've done, I'll remember what Jesus has done. I'll remember what Jesus has done. A lot of the old hymns that we sing in church have a verse and a chorus. So you'll sing a a verse... Um, and then you'll do the chorus, like this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all day long. And then another verse, and this is my story, this is my song, or, or uh, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee how great thou art. We have this great chorus that, that builds up, and no matter what the verse is, everyone sings in the chorus because that's the, like the heart of the song. Well, Satan's going to write a verse, and he may have a, a, a lot of verses. In fact, I'm looking out at some of you, you've got a lot of verses he's going to write about you, about how bad you've been. Come back with the chorus of what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. The Bible gives a lot of verses that I think would make great choruses. One of those is Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Darren, I'm bringing up all this junk of your past. What do you think about that? You're right about that. But there is no condemnation now for me because I'm in Christ Jesus. Remember how you broke that promise? You know how you said you are going to do this, you didn't do it? I know, that's absolutely true, but there is no condemnation. I will not carry condemnation because I am in Christ Jesus. You come back with the chorus. Another example would be what Paul says in in Titus chapter 3. It says that he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. You can keep bringing up, Satan, what I've done, but I'm going to come back with what he's done for me. And he washed me. He made me alive in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Yes, that's true, but that's not the end of the story. This is a conclusion of the story. I will remember what God has done for me in Christ Jesus. And then one more thing. You can just kind of throw this this third one on for, for good measure. When Satan tries to bring up your past, you just bring up his future. You just bring up his future. Here's what I believe. The more you grow in your faith the more quickly you will discern the voices speaking to you, the more accurately you will be able to determine what is coming from the evil one, what is coming from God, and you will more forcefully deal with the lies of the enemy. And so when Satan brings up the accusations, just remind him of where he's going. Revelation chapter 12 says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power <clears throat> the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. It goes on to say that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. A few chapters later, get at chapter 20 of Revelation, it says that Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire and will stay there forever and ever. Satan, you can bring up my sin all you want, but you've got a future and your future's coming to an end. And you act like this wounded beast who's, who's trying to bite as many people as you can before you go down. But the script has been written and will be fulfilled. I love the fact that God uses Satan's own tactics against himself. You know, in the martial arts, one of the, one of the things they teach you is to use an opponent's strength against themselves. That's why a, a smaller person or, or even a lady can overcome a big man. By using his strength against him. For example, when he comes to lunge at you, you're able to take him by the, by the shirt and roll back and actually flip him over to where you end up on top. When someone throws a punch, you can actually pull their arm and turn them around and get behind them. You use their, their strength against them. You take their best punch and, and use it right back against them. And that's what God did with, with Satan. I can just picture Satan saying, I'm going to stop this Jesus, I'm, I'm going to stop his ministry. I'm going to keep him from teaching anymore, healing anymore, um, evicting demons out of people anymore. And so he used a man named Judas who betrayed Jesus. And Jesus was nailed to a cross. And Satan's kind of rubbing salt in the wound saying, I'm I'm not just going to kill him. I'm going to kill him in the most humiliating fashion, strip him of his clothes, hang him in public virtually naked, and let him suffer crucifixion. That's what I'm going to do. God said, do that. You go ahead and do that because you're going to fulfill Scripture by doing that. Because I told my people a long time ago that I was going to send one who would die for the sins of the people, that he would shed his blood on a tree for them. And Satan, you threw your best punch, but your best punch fit right into my message, the story of my son. You thought you put him to death. That wasn't the end of the story because I raised him to life. Everything you tried to do backfired against you. And Satan may try to take your past and say, look at how messy your life is. Look how messed up you've been as a person. But here's what God does. God takes the mess and makes it part of your message. A testimony of goodness and grace. Yeah, that's who I was. It's not who I am now. See, we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, what Jesus did on the cross, and the word of our testimony, what God has done through me. God has forgiven me. God has made me alive. God has delivered me. God has healed me. God has made me his child. This is what God has done. See, I love this verse in the Old Testament. I think it gives us a great admonition from the book of Isaiah of what we need to do is forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. And for those of you who may be new to the church, you've got a past. You're not not happy with your past. I just need to assure you today, God doesn't expect you to impress him with your past. God wants to impress you with the fact that there's someone who loved you in the midst of all that you were doing, who gave himself for you so that you could be forgiven and cleansed. And this day, surrender yourself to him so Satan has no claim on your lives, but so that you have the Holy Spirit not only living in you, but walking beside you as your advocate. And I want to invite you today, if you've never surrendered to Jesus, to surrender to him to know without a doubt that He's on your side. You've got to surrender to Him. You've got to admit your sin. You've got to ask Jesus to wash and cleanse you and to come into your life and to give you a new birth.